0: Welcome, everyone, to this special interview edition of Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Today's episode is our traditional post-major discussion with Steve Flink, U.S. Open 2022. I'm going to split this up into two parts. Part one is going to be very Carlos Alcaraz-focused, the men's champion, getting into a little bit of his final with Ruud, but also uh, his run as a whole. And what we might see from him moving forward, 2023 and beyond, legacy stuff, etc. Part two is going to be much more focused on the field. Your Rafael Nadal, your Nick Kyrgios, your Daniil Medvedev, uh, all the rest. Uh, even I'm not sure what where the Casper stuff is going to fall. Part one or part two? We'll just have to see. Uh, but make sure you uh, you check out both. I will uh, leave links to part one and part two in uh, convenient locations for everybody. So without further ado, here is Steve Flink. We're joined once again by Hall of Fame tennis writer Steve Flink. His his latest book, I almost said his greatest book, but it's a tie <laughs> between uh, that and his other. His latest book is Pete Sampras' Greatness Revisited, uh, also the greatest tennis matches of all time. Uh, check those out uh, for sure. It's our traditional post-major chat, U.S. Open 2022 might split this up into two parts uh let's see what happens steve thanks for uh coming on again and it was great to see you in new york i should say uh we were able to watch some of these matches uh together from from the media seating as well
1: yeah it was great i enjoyed that Gil, and then hearing you you do some of your reports for the u.s open radio with from courtside was was a pleasure you did a great job
0: thank you all right, Carlos Alcaraz is uh, where we will start. I want to just dissect the run as a whole in terms of what the ingredients were that enabled him to to take this next step in his career to win his first major at 19 years old, youngest to win the U.S. Open uh, since Pete Sampras did it, um, youngest to win a major since Nadal at Roland Garros in 2005, uh, youngest number one in the history of um, of the men's game. Did you think coming in that he was ready to do this, Steve?
1: I thought he might be. I mean, I, I was certainly had him among my top three. I thought coming in, if Rafa was healthy, that maybe Rafa, given all his experience, you had to make him the slight favorite. But I felt like he was really going to come down to either uh, Rafa, Medvedev, or Alcaraz. I, I, I didn't see Kyrgios winning the tournament, although, you know, he impressed me with how well he played before losing to Hachinov. So I did see him right up there. And then as it unfolded, I liked his chances more and more uh, for a variety of reasons.
0: Yeah, you saw kind of Nadal, who will get to, immediately seeming like something was off. And the draw started to look good. That center match loomed large for a long time. Yes. And then it it turned out to be the real turning point in, in his run because he had to save a match point uh, to get through that.
1: Absolutely. And and it, it, the match itself will now take on larger prominence in, in, in historical minds because it led to the title. It would have been, you know, it, it, you look at it. I certainly do the quality was there it was spectacularly high quality uh, throughout the five sets five hours and 15 minutes and saving a match point out gross does in the fourth and just the suspense and it was so gripping high quality rallies but then the fact that he wouldn't go on from that quarterfinal to then you know beat tiafo in the semis and win the title of a was was remarkable and uh sinner and and he he need not be ashamed of his performance cuz i don't think he's ever played better in, in victory or defeat
0: yeah agreed i mean maybe maybe when he took out alcaraz at at wimbledon but that was a, a spectacular match and i i think sinner's profile and and respect um goes up after that and and alcaraz goes from star to superstar ultimately um i would I wanna- just say
1: with it's a good point. It was a very fine performance from Sinner at Wimbledon. I, I, I still felt that this was a higher quality match from beginning to end. Sinner served Agreed. really well at Wimbledon, played well. So I'd take that into account, but I'd still pick this one. But, but this this could be a nice uh, budding rivalry. Uh, I mean, I think in the long run, you have to, have to believe that Alcaraz will achieve more. But I think they could have some some first rate matches over the next decade. These two
0: historical question: I name dropped Sampras winning the U.S. Open in, in 1990 and Nadal uh, winning Roland Garros in uh, in 2005. How does Alcaraz at this stage compare to Pete and Rafa in that
1: respect? It's a great question. I think that he's at a similar stage of development to Rafa in 05. You alluded to Rafa in 05, and he won the French that year, and he was two in the world that year, and he was on Roger's heels. He still had a lot of – the difference being that Rafa was not nearly as well-rounded as Alcoraz is right now. But in terms of his match-playing ability and his – It's kind of strategic acumen and know-how out on the court. I see a similarity. Pete might have been, although he won the Open, and and it was a brilliant performance in winning the Open because he beat in succession, you know, Lendl, McEnroe, and Agassi. I don't think he was as far along in his development. And And that's why it took a couple more years. See, we didn't see that with Rafa, obviously. Rafa came back and won the French the next year and just kept going. Pete had a couple of years where he played very well, particularly in 92, but he didn't win another major until the 93 Wimbledon. And I think there was a reason for that. But Alcaraz, to me, is incredibly well-rounded at this. You watch the way he plays now, what he, the, the options he gives himself, how he comes forward, Gil, and he'll hit a great, you, you see it time and again, those delayed approach shots where he hits a cross court back end and says, wait a minute, I'm coming in. Uh, it's a good enough shot. I'm coming in. He's less hesitant to do that than any of the other top players now. And obviously just great from the backcourt, sound volleyer, very good serve that I think is going to get much, much better. And that's one of the things I noticed at the open. We can get to it in more detail, but that at the fourth four set of the final, he finally decided, no, this is not the set for serving and volleying. This is not the set for, for um, spot serving. This is this. I'm going to let loose. And he served half of his aces, seven of the 14 in the fourth set. And I felt like, wow, you know, that I'd like to see more of this from him. But I would say it, those comparisons are always difficult to make. And we saw what Pete went on to do and what, what Rafa went on to do. But I believe that Alcaraz, is, who will get a lot better, is already uh, remarkably versatile, incredibly versatile.
0: It's almost the, the net play jumped out. There's no doubt about that. The way he was coming forward and attacking, the delayed net approaches, Steve was uh, one of the things I focused on in my breakdown of the match on Monday. But there's almost a, a good, a good debate to be had about what was most impressive about what Carlos Alcaraz did here against Rude. And you know, you could also zoom out and look at the run as a whole. The the technical skills that's one thing. The physicality. No one has spent more time on court since this has been recorded um, in, in terms of uh, Grand Slam run than Carlos Alcaraz. He passed Kevin Anderson, what Anderson did at Wimbledon in 2018. And then there's the mental side, where so often we see players who are are trying to who have never been there, basically, uh, let their nerves get in the way, and that didn't happen. So you have the, the three kind of pillars here, physical, mental, technical, and it's almost hard to pick which one stands out because all of them were so good.
1: It's very true. All of that is true. I mean, he, I would only add, the only thing I can add to what you're saying is I don't think he's even near his potential yet. And that's that, that the, one of the reasons why we saw so many matches, you spent so much time on court, is certain some sets got away. You take the center match, for example. He's won the first set. He's got five set points in the second set. And one of them, the fourth set point, the court was wide open. He had hit a topspin lob over Sinner's head. And Sinner hit a kind of a weak back Overhead started retreating. The point was as good as gone. But Carlos made a mistake and off the forehand and eventually lost that set, served for the third set, didn't win that one, and had to come back from match point down on the fourth. So I look at all these matches. The Tiafo match, it looked like he had Tiafo beaten cold early in the fourth set he had been on such a surge from the middle of the second to early in the fourth blitzing through francis who looked like his legs were gone and then from two love up a break at two love gets another break to go up three one in the fourth and it didn't happen he had a match point later in the set he lost that set what i'm saying is that i there are still times like that where he where he looks as if there's room for growth i i where i feel like he could still get better and and all of the shots will only get better and stronger, particularly the serve, because if, if he can get in that range, as he already does, between 126 and 135, and we, we know he can do it, that, that'll start happening more consistently. It'd be easier for him to produce the bigger serves and rely more on bigger first serves. I just feel like he wherever he is right now, uh, he hasn't begun to really tap. that, And I think that has to be very reassuring, Gil, to both, himself and and his coach Juan Carlos Barrera to know that some people are saying that there's just a little bit of maybe Carlos mania out there because Djokovic was not here and Rafa wasn't playing well and okay you can look at all these other factors but he had to beat a lot of really good players there down the stretch particularly the wins over Sinner and Rude and 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 also an inspired Tiafo. I just feel like His game is well-suited to to compete against anybody, any style. And I I do believe that it could be a a fascinating rivalry over the next couple of years between him and Djokovic. And I just feel like this kid is just – he's got a good head on his shoulders and that he's going to get a lot better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Before we get into the Root final uh, specifically, so are you saying one of the – one of the areas that you see for improvement is his ability to just uh, perform under pressure uh, on big points, be opportune, take his his break chances and and uh, yeah. win the the big points,
1: yes. he didn't have a great success rate on break points one uh, break points converted in the tournament. that could have improved and And obviously, he could have spared himself had he had he won those sec- at least the second or third set against sinner and had he closed out tiafo and so there was a certain pattern there, but I, I think that, that he'll he'll move beyond that pretty quickly, and I and I just think in ter- and that's ma- that's the match playing side of things. Then in terms of the technical side, I think inevitably he'll he'll if that will that will improve. I don't see why not. Also, we have to take into account, Bill, you know, looking at this tournament, that he'd been in for Carlos something of a slump. After winning Madrid, he lost in the quarters to Zarev at the French. Then Sinner got him at Wimbledon. And he didn't he had a couple of finals over the summer. You thought he might win at least one of those on the clay. He did not. Tommy Paul beat him on the hard courts. And then uh, Cameron Norrie also beat him on the hard court. So he didn't he didn't have a great run leading up to New York. I think it may have just robbed him of just a little bit of his confidence. But boy, it will be back now in abundance after coming through in New York.
0: I do think it helped him make an adjustment because it was a lot, you know, the breakpoint conversions that were really coming back to haunt him in some of the matches that he was losing. Uh, Wimbledon being 0 for 9 against Sinner and beyond. Uh, you know, he's been in every single match. Uh, he hasn't lost in straight sets. And uh, him and Juan Carlos Ferrero both said, you know, he was trying to uh, take some pressure off and just enjoy his tennis a little yeah. bit more in this event. So uh, I think looking back, uh, struggling may have been, you know, they, they say like you win or you learn. And I, I think he learned from those losses. In he
1: hindsight. did. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely agree. But I think in turn, he had been on such a roll from Miami, winning Miami on the hard courts, the Madrid. Uh, I mean, he had, he was so good on both the hard courts and the clay. That many thought he might win the French, which didn't happen, and then you, then it, it sort of, it, I don't want to say it spiraled, but it, it, it definitely, he was hurting coming into Wimbledon, didn't have good preparation, lost, lost there to, Sinner, didn't play his best, and Sinner was terrific, and then, then you could see the strain over the summer, what you're alluding to with yeah. with Juan Carlos in Los finals, you could see he was not enjoying himself, it carried over onto the hard courts as well in his losses leading up to Flushing Meadows. But I just think, you know, he definitely learned from those. And it, de- it definitely wasn't going to dent his morale deeply. He's, he's got, there's too much deep inner convic- conviction. And he even was saying in this press conference after the bond, he thought after uh, uh, at Miami, winning Miami at that time is when he began to think, I can win a Grand Slam tournament. He was very honest about that. That you didn't expect to necessarily hear that. And, and he proved it. And I just feel like, He'll have a decent fall. I still expect him to end the year number one to hold on to that because I think his results will be strong enough to keep him there. So then he'll go into Australia and, uh, as the top seed, which is amazing. And uh, I, I don't see why I, he doesn't have a very big uh, year next year. Why? I mean, I, I would certainly expect one more major, may, maybe two, because I just think he's that good. And uh, And the other thing, Gil, I'm curious to get your feelings. I just feel like he's going to, not to minimize, not to uh, diminish the the greatness of the likes of a Medvedev, who's already won a major, Zarev, who was an eyelash away from winning the 2020 Open, and Sitsapas if he can somehow uh, overcome what must be a damaged psyche right now. But I look at all of these guys and even a re-emerging dominant team, and I just don't think in the long haul, and maybe not even in the short haul, that they can stay, that they're, Consistently going to be able to stay with him. Not that he never loses to them, but I think uh, all told, he's just a better player than anybody in that gang. And being nineteen and the other guys being in their mid twenties, and you know, it's get he's he's just going to surpass them to me by a, a significant margin.
0: I agree. I think it's a different level, Carlos. To me, all timer, those guys, you know, greats yeah. of their time you know greats of their period right I don't know how you kind of sort that but I I sometimes think about it as tiers and I see Alcaraz as historic like historically tier one in all likelihood and those players that that group um not being in that same tier one
1: Absolutely, absolutely, and I, I I feel as if yes, and maybe Medvedev can end his career with four four or five majors. M- maybe Zarev gets three. And maybe Sitsipas Sitsipas finally gets on the board. But in Carlos, we're looking to me at high double digits for sure, and and quite possibly high double digits, and quite possibly even threatening the the, the three icons we talk about so often these days and Djokovic and Nadal and Federer. I'm not saying he'll surpass them, but he he's young enough that if he starts picking up these majors and clusters uh, the, say from 21 22 on that there's no reason he can't go well into his 30s and the ambition will be there and the talent is there and the talent will he will only improve so i i i, I don't i can't see him ending his career as i sit here now with anything less than 15 majors
0: yeah can't disagree i mean it's it's super early and i guess we don't even know who his rivals are going to be because right. likely, you know, d- down the road, we've never heard of whoever those players are going to be. Uh but you know, i i i really do think he's on that level. I'm with you. So uh so the rude final, good quality. I I think both players brought it was the biggest what was your biggest takeaway? How well Carlos Alcaraz played at the net, and especially late in the third set when the match was at its pivot point. And in that 5-6 game in particular, he he came forward and made some very, very important plays up there.
1: Including on both set points against him. So you're so right about that. Yeah, he that stood out to me for sure because I thought what happened was that he had the one break in the first set, didn't lose his own serve. They each had their chances, but he took his and was a very worthy first set winner. And then from two all in the second, he, I thought Root played really well. And Carlos was very, it w- was not opportunistic. You know, he had, he had a break point on Root serve. There was this succession of games, break point on Rood serve and 30 love on his own serve and another chance to break Root in the next game. So there was, it was a very misleading six, two scoreline to me. And then he goes up the break early in the third. Two love, and he's got a break point for three love. And Rude, to his great credit, as he so often did in that that portion of the match, you know, he served his way out of trouble very well. You know, he hit some great first serves, uh, beautifully located on break points against him. So, if Carlos could have gotten that second break to go up three love in the third, I think it, life could have been a lot easier. But then Rude really pressed him hard, and it, and it all came down to that game you mentioned, five six. All those deuces, I think five deuces and a couple of set, two set points against Carlos and he attacked on both. And one of them made a beautiful forehand on the stretch, made that forehand drop because Rude hit the passing shot down the line and made, he really made him stretch. It was not a bad pass and it was reasonably low and Carlos made the drop volley cleanly. So, yes, and then a perfect tie break, kept looping his returns. He kind of surprised Rude, I thought, with the trajectory of those returns and that paid off and so after rude served an ace on the first point carlos ran off seven points in a row and then uh, as as we were talking about earlier then a great serving set from Alcarez to close it out in the fourth and got the one break he needed so it was impressive and i th- i all credit to rude because many people were predicting a straight set win for carlos coming in uh, including patrick McEnroe. and the, the 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 case was there to be made that he could possibly do it in straight but rude gave a very good account of himself. I just think he's obviously far more limited than Carlos and Carlos made him pay a price for standing so far back on the return to serve positioning near the fence. And he, uh, he had just too many options, too much versatility, you know, the firepower from the back, the ability to come forward in the end, you felt like the match was in his hands. Even when it was starting to slip away, you felt like if he just lifted his Level slightly, which he surely did. That was going to be enough. And what uh, what a, what a uh, worthy champion he is!
0: Yeah, I I see it exactly the same way. All, all four sets, in in fact, um, I I'm I'm really with you on all of it. Um, I don't think Rude has a return strategy against Alcaraz that works. You know, yeah. he he stands up and he chips, and Alcaraz attacks that. That block return so brilliantly. Then he moves back, and Alcaraz will will serve and volley and take advantage of that that court position, as you yeah. alluded to. Yeah. Um, I mean, it just. And then you look at this the the third set tiebreak, and it's it's just they didn't play. They played one rally in the entire breaker because Alcaraz is serving and returning so much better that he's winning these points quickly. He's in advantaged positions. Uh, right away so uh, I think the next step for for rude is mostly on the return of serve on a quick court where uh, he needs to figure out a way to drive returns from closer to the baseline Um, or if he's able to beef up the backhand enough where he can hit it from the back fence and just get more depth on it and uh, you know Pass a serve and volleyer. Yeah. I, I think that's the the obstacle for Root if he wants to win a match like this.
1: Yeah, good point. I mean, I, 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 the the phrase "ala Medvedev" came to my mind in the sense that he's always his strength. He also stands so far back, and but of course he makes very very deep returns down the middle and takes the initiative away from the server very very quickly that way. Uh, Rudd is going to have to learn to do that. I don't know how adept he's going to be, Gil, in the long run at driving those returns. I think it's always going to be an issue, and his backhand is always going to be an issue. Although I must say, I think his backhand now, compared to what we saw from him in the spring, is significantly better.
0: Isn't that amazing? I mean, yeah. it's so quick. How much? How different and and improved that shot is in such a short period of time.
1: Definitely, definitely, and that's one of the things that kept him in the match for a while because obviously Carlos was going to try to attack that side and did a good job. But Rude, the combination of the de- of the effective slices and then the two had the drives when he had the time, keeping good depth on those. He wasn't making that many backhand errors. I mean, Carlos really had to coax those errors. He had to to force them. So it was it was a pretty high quality final. I thought.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I'm and Rude also. If anyone was gonna play a, a nervous match, I, I thought it might have been Casper, and, and he didn't. So he deserves a lot of credit for that as well. Big picture with Rude, he makes two major finals in twenty twenty two. I was not expecting that. Full credit to him. I didn't think he'd get to number two in the rankings either, and he's done that as well. So, uh, really, really great accomplishments, and he's he's just twenty three. For some reason, with him, I still have. A percentage of skepticism that he is in the elite ranks with Nadal and Djokovic and Alcaraz, Medvedev on hard, Tsitsipas on clay, Um, uh, although you can make some great arguments for Rude on clay. I I still have a, a small skepticism there, not fully, but a little bit. And I don't know if it's just because I don't see the big wins. Like he's three and seven against top ten players this year, and I'm I'm just not seeing the wins against the players who I just mentioned. Do you share that feeling? Totally,
1: totally. I mean, just go back in your mind's eye. I mean, he was taken apart by Rafa in the French final. Would it have been different if it was a semi or quarter? He wasn't quite as nervous. Maybe slightly. I don't think a great deal. Think of what Djokovic did to him in Rome. Djokovic really gave him a clinic in many ways, took him apart. And so, yes, I think he has it when he's up against the very, very best. And he's he's done well against, played a good match against Carlos and Miami, played a good match here at the Open, but it's still hard to see him not being outclassed. And then again, the other issue with him is that we know he can lose to a there are people that can pick him off. That, that would you know that it's never going to be an easy path for him in the earlier rounds, the way it is for the other top players. At least I don't think it will be. But that doesn't take away from, as you said, the, anybody would have projected that he's going to be in two finals, particularly in the U.S. Open final. Uh, not many people would have gone along with that scenario. So, and I think he's a great professional. Great credit to his trade and the fact that he has gone to work and improve the back end so markedly over in this span of time is encouraging. But yes, I share that your concerns as well about what happens to him when he comes up against the elite in his profession.
0: Yep. Got to keep getting better, which he has. Uh, The improvements have been very visible with even uh, the serve and the fitness his confidence in big matches. So he's got to keep making those improvements because I, I guess we, we both agree that he's actually not there yet, even though his ranking suggests that he is there already.
1: Yeah. No, let's, let's face it. Of course, you know, the draw, the draw, the draw opened up in each case. And uh, I mean, I did, we shouldn't have in, in, in Paris, we shouldn't have had Djokovic and Nadal playing a quarter. Things could have been different there. And, and, in New York, you know, he 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 had a he had a fairly favorable draw in New York. It might have been tougher for him to be curious than it was to be hatching off in the semis, but he, all all power to him. He got the job done. He escaped against Tommy Paul, so he he uh, he's to be commended. There's no doubt about it. And I, and again, I think his serve is improving too, which is, which will need will will need to continue to be the case. But I'm I'm encouraged by what I've seen the 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 sort of the Higher quality, more pace, better location on, on his first serve now, which again got him out of trouble often against Carlos and also in, in, in many other matches as well. So there's some positive signs and there's some lingering concerns.
0: Yeah. One more question on the final that, uh, that I got to ask Do you feel like Alcaraz's legs were finally heavy in that final?
1: For a while. What, I, what impresses me is the way he yeah I felt that that started to kind of creep in toward the end of the second and, and, and it stages in the third after the break got away from him in the third and he had a battle so hard. But then once we got to the tail end of that set and the five, six game that you and I both appreciated so much through the tiebreaker right through the fourth, I thought that much of that disappeared they're understandable that's that that would surface for a while because of everything he'd been through and obviously it didn't help him we didn't talk much about it but it looked like he had tiafo beaten soundly he's lost a first set tie break again that was one of those sets he could have won six three down in the tie break he gets back to six all and then pulls a the backhand wide unforced and double fault second double fold of the breaker so he kind of helped francis out a bit on some of the big points in that Opening set to go behind, then took over the match, and was really in in utter control there from the middle of the second till early in the fourth. And that's when he, you know, didn't didn't really uh, pounce the way he needed to at two love and three one in the fourth. And then it, in, in, at a match point, eluded him later at five four, and the tie break got away from him from five four, and he's in a five setter. So all of that wear and tear. It, it, all of that toil, it, was, it, wa- it wasn't it was—it easy. And and these were very physical matches. And then again, this gets back to the serve again, Gil. I keep thinking about it. Suppose he had served bigger and a little better in some of these matches. If, and, you know, what was great about the force, set was the number of free points he was getting, aces or service winners. And the last game of the match is a perfect example of the final where he goes to 30-love and he has one of the easiest overheads he could ever see and he hits it in the net. Uh, maybe it was a little tight comes back with an ace misses an easy forehand at 40 15, but then comes back with a service winner. So the serve really was able to uh, that was, it was, it, it was the reassuring factor for him in a, in a, in a match serving game where, where mm-hmm. he wants to close this out so badly that he was able to get those free points, those quick points, because undoubtedly his mind was on the title a little bit. So I just, I, I look back on all of that and say, what would be different if Carlos, you know, could rely more on a bigger serve and get more free points, which he's fully capable of doing, particularly on the hard courts? I, I think it can make a big difference, and I'm hope I, I hope that's the emphasis for for him and Ferreira going forward because that that made 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 it difficult for him at the Open.
0: Agreed, and he's lost every single tie break until that third set tie yeah. break in the final. Right. Right? Every single right. time there is a set that was up in the air. It never went his way. And it goes back no. to, you know, it almost gets lumped into the, the break point conversion topic where uh, you do feel like sometimes he's coming up short in these 50, 50 pressure moments and yeah. it's just making it harder. Although he so often prevails because of his talents and the fact that he can outplay someone uh, so so thoroughly when needed. Um, so yeah, I, I and I agree with you about the off season, and uh, I do think they'll focus on the serve. They need to focus on something because he can't get any bigger and stronger. They say that he's at the the weight that they want him to play at for the rest of his career. So it's not going to be an off season full of this, you know, fitness transformation like we saw no, uh, last year.
1: I would just say this, Gil. I do think he can actually get stronger, though. Not, not, I, I agree. I, I think they're right about the weight. But I think inevitably, when you go from your late teens to your early and mid-20s, you, you will get stronger in, in some respects. And, 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 and I, and, and, but they don't want him to lose his speed, because we didn't even talk about that. There's nobody faster in the game. Yep. And that was once again showcased in New York, because the court coverage is at times just astounding. And it, it really paid off for him. And I also think we shouldn't ignore his defense because a lot of time, I mean, he, yes, he makes great running forehands, astounding running forehands, but then there were there were times against Tiapo where I thought he defended beautifully and just went to the slice and worked his way back into the point. He's an incredibly mature player that, that way. And that's why he has such a wide range of options. And, and uh, I, I would think he must, with all due respect to Juan Carlos Ferrer, he's got to be one of the easiest guys to coach. In that sense, is that they know how good he is, and they just want to harness it all, and they will.
0: Let's uh let's go to the rest of the men's field here. It felt coming into the tournament that there was some some vulnerability, which I did allude to a little bit earlier. Um, let's kind of go through these contenders uh, first. Daniil Medvedev, not the dominant summer that he's had really every year since 2019 on the North American hard courts. But it also kind of feels more than anything, like he, he might have a bit of a Nick curios issue. Why do you think that matchup gives him so much trouble?
1: I think he, in fairness, he caught Nick at, at, at Nick's pretty close to like the, the, the match at the open, the one in Canada over the summer was also a pretty brilliant performance, but the open, I don't think Nick could have played any better. And Daniel, I, yeah, I think his confidence is down. Uh, he tried. I thought he tried to make the adjustments against Nick this set in New York and and with his return of serve positioning, and actually made some really good returns off when he stood in closer. I was impressed with that, but it wasn't enough. You know, after that first set, you know, and then and and splitting, getting the second set when Nick went off the boil a little bit, as they like to say, and and got himself, you know, down that those last two sets he just didn't get a a a a look at anything he just was nick was too too good he served so well and his returning was about as as sound as i've ever seen it and so i look at daniel i say okay yeah he's got an issue there on the other hand he beat nick in australia when nick wasn't playing as well so i just feel like nick has to be in that uh, in that uh uh, he has to be flowing and playing his pretty near his best tennis, somewhere over ninety percent. If he is, then Daniel's in trouble. But if he's not, if Nick's in the eighty to eighty-five percent range, Daniel will, will will capitalize to the hill. So I, I'm not convinced that it's like every time he plays Nick in the next two years, he's just going to get beaten. And my I'm more concerned about Daniel in general in losing those finals on the grass. I uh, didn't get to play Wimbledon not his fault but I mean if you look at what happened to him post Australia you and I talked about this earlier in the year the the haunting quality of his loss to Nadal in Australia from two sets to love 3-2 love 40 in the third so he was so close to being two sets up 4-2 serving for 5-2 and being out of reach and he ends up losing 7-5 in the fifth and uh you know, then Rafa got a Acapulco and the hard court season didn't go well. The clay court season didn't go well. This year got away from him in a way, despite his win in Los Cabos over the summer, which was a, sort of a, it was a, a slightly reassuring thing for him, but not great. So I, I, I feel like the uh, we're going to learn a lot about him over the over the course of next year because he wasn't able to follow up on his big U.S. Open win. So we have to look back now and say how much of that was novak's tension going for the grand slam in 2021 in the u.s open final and how much of it was daniel's brilliance i think he played a great match to be sure and i think he would have been hard to beat even if novak had been in form but he has not been able to show since then that that he's you know that he can he hasn't been able to replicate that form and 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 so this was a difficult year for him next year i think becomes kind of crucial and he he needs to get in there again and win one of the majors somewhere. And I would think he's going to be very he'll be dangerous again in Melbourne and in New York. But the question is, what it, what happens with the others? It's not just Nick; it's other leading players. Sitsipas beat him in Cincinnati. You know he it, it he's he's vulnerable against a, a lot of different players right now. And yet at his best, when you feel like he's in the right frame of mind and things are rolling off him and the serve is clicking and the returns are coming back inches from the baseline down the middle, that he can be an awfully difficult guy to beat as well. But I just think that the confidence kind of evaporated over the course of 2022.
0: It seemed that way. If I were interviewing him, I'd love to ask him if uh, if the hernia has had lingering effects, if that surgery has affected particularly his serve. Because to me, he's not the same server that, he had that he was last year and, and early in this season. Um And the other thing about Medvedev to keep in mind, I think is I don't know how much he's going to be someone who evolves in terms of how he plays and what he's able to do. He's already uh, 26, I believe Um, you know, he'll be 27 next year. I don't think there's that much improvement in the cards. It's, it's about maximizing what he does and just finding the level that, that we've seen him play at his best and trying to maintain that. And, and that will be good enough to, for him to contend for, for major titles.
1: It will. It will. But, yeah, I tend to see him, I see him pretty much the way you do. I think the, the, he can be a little robotic in the way he plays. And I also worry about the forehand, which is a little bit of a funky stroke. The backswing, I, there are times when, you know, I feel like he his timing is perfect on given days and the forehand can be terrific. Then there are other days where I feel like he, he can make a lot of errors off that side and the, be- the best players can get to that side on him. I, lo- I love his backhand. I think it's very, very sound, consistent, uh, reliable stroke. And with the first serve is great. The second serve is, is good enough but forehand worries me and then the temperament worries me because i have seen him at, at times look very mentally tough uh, as if he could handle anything or anyone but too often i feel like there's a fragility to him so you're right and 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 at that stage at that at his age is very likely to be any any really important technical developments in his game he just has to take advantage exploit what he has
0: yeah and you could and it's the technique, Steve, which is also why I say that. Because you could say, well, didn't, didn't Nadal and Djokovic improve this and that? But, you know, you look at Medvedev, let's say, as a volleyer. And and if someone were to ask me, hey, do you think Medvedev's going to be a good volleyer? You look at that technique, and to me, the answer, no, it's just never going to be his thing. He's never going to be a good volleyer because he's so far away uh, from having volley technique that is going to enable him to do that. Whereas if you look at Djokovic, who's improved his volleys, you know, there is always a base there to work with. So that, that I think is the difference.
1: I think Djokovic anticipates much better up at the net too, which serves him well. Daniel. Yeah. No, the technique isn't good enough and I don't know how well he reads things up there. And yeah, he's very, he's limited. I've seen sometimes he'll make these little side spin backhand volleys that are, can be dazzling, but he cannot do any of it on a consistent basis. I don't think his forehand volley is that good. And, yeah, he it, it it's one of the reasons why he's more hesitant. He's a bit hesitant to come in. I mean, Sitsipas is a much better volleyer than he is as an example. Yeah. Uh Daniel that so he really has to do it. It has to happen for him from the it's really about the serve and the artillery from the baseline. And 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 I just feel like you know, at his very, very best when when things are flowing, yes, he's right in there contending for majors, but that there are going to be guys that can pick him off, and we saw it this year, and I think, I suspect we're going to see it again next year.
0: So, Medvedev, wrapping up our discussion there on the defending champion from 2021, uh, going back to 2019, it was Nadal uh, making his return to New York. The ab and then also after the match in the press conference he alluded to some distractions uh to to not feeling right mentally uh wanting to go home and uh quote fix things you know he's going to keep all whatever whatever he's alluding to he's going to keep that private but uh did you feel like physically and mentally Nadal just wasn't in a in a state to really contend for the U.S. Open title,
1: sure seemed that way. I mean, I, I dropped the opening set in his first round match. He was down six-two-four-two against Fanini, and got a lot of help from Fanini after that, and was pleased to come out of that uh, crisis. And then Gasquet, we can't even we can't even evaluate it because he just you know eighteen and zero. He's just he could beat the guy blindfolded. So. <laughs> Finally, he plays Tiafo, and that was revealing because I didn't think he played terrible, but I thought that Francis had, was able to sort of have the upper hand through most of that match, and Tiafoe didn't give him any, didn't give much away. He served really well, and Rafa, I, I think of the, how few times there were in the match where you saw him step around, hitting that inside-out forehand, and we, we just did not see the best Nadal. And there's no way of knowing how much of this was the lingering abdominal problem? Or, we, I, I don't really know for sure, but it was in, in retrospect, I guess it was never in the car scene. I thought it could be, I thought maybe he'd play his way into form and in that by the fourth round, but we could see early on, you could see from the beginning of the Tiafo match that, that this was not that this was not really the essential in the doubt. And he was up against a top of the line Tiafo, and the combination was, was certainly destructive to him. So yeah, I think, Everything caught up to him. He somehow won the Australian Open this year, very much against the odds after missing most of the second half of last year. Makes the spectacular comeback against Medvedev. Also won a five-setter there against Shapovala. Then he won Roland Garros despite ha- having injections every single day. And granted, that's his home away from home at Roland Garros, but still a, a remarkable effort. And Wimbledon it caught up to him there because the abdominal is what made him withdraw from his semifinal against Curios, And then we saw him obviously hindered in, in some meaningful ways at the U.S. Open. So I don't know, I don't know what to expect going forward. He he's surprised me a lot the way he came back this year, as strong as he came back. But I don't know uh, what to expect from him in the early stages of next year or all of next year. But I, I have this feeling, just my hunch is that next year could, could be the last year of a rap-up one way or another. I'm not saying he won't get anything out of it either. Maybe he wins well in Garros for the 15th time, but I, I just get a feeling he's going to have decided that he's put his body through enough.
0: Yeah, it's got to get smoother at a certain point for him physically because this, as as great as this year was in terms of the highs, and, and, and he's said this many times, he continues to say this, it was a tough year uh, oh, as well.
1: Very, very, yeah. very. And he'll weigh all that. And I think as much as he wants to be sure to stay ahead in this historical race for supremacy at the Grand Slam events, he stands only one ahead of Novak right now, that he also does not want to destroy his body for life either. He's not going to be so obsessed that he'll play on uh, to the point where he would do lasting damage to his body. Uh, He does not want that.
0: Yeah. Started this portion of of the interview talking Medvedev, Nadal and and just the the vulnerability at the top of the men's game. We went into the US Open with kind of a feeling that the it it there's no real shoe in there in terms of your your traditional um top contenders. And then you you throw in Djokovic. I don't know that there's much to discuss there, but obviously him being absent is a huge factor as well um due to the uh the vaccination restrictions. Um, But let's go to some shock results and just try to explain them as best we can quickly. And uh, they are particularly inexplicable. Galan over Tsitsipas in round one. He got out to a six-love, five-love lead and ultimately won in four.
1: Absolutely startling apparently upset about his court assignment he won he would have preferred to play on ash he had memories in the past of losing on that court doesn't add up to me because it's it he's he's a professional and and he's up against a, a qualifier and it's just it, i like a lot of others i was I, we were all watching serena at that time so yeah. i only fought the fourth set so by then he he was into it he he had gotten the won the third set and he was competing but to go out and lose the first two sets in the U.S. Open, love and one, and as you say, the first 11 games, it, it just it, – its it does not – it tells you that something was terribly wrong in, in his – going out onto the court for that match in his mind. I don't I, – he never talked about any physical issue. I don't think there was. If there had been, I don't see how he grabs the third and makes the fourth competitive. So this was about his mindset, which was – not up up to par at all, and what a shame! Because he played well in Cincinnati, even though he lost the final there to Krorich. he beat Medvedev, and I and that that should have been kind of a nice boost. Even losing that final there, just to feel like okay, I'm coming to the Open, I've got a real shot here. I lost to Alcaraz last year, but I can do really well in this tournament, and I love playing in New York. We didn't we didn't see that, and yeah. ve- very strange performance. From, and I don't, and I hope it does not. I hope that doesn't have kind of uh, there isn't a certain permanent that that, that, that doesn't have a, a sort of a carryover effect where he just he's sort of down on himself over the fall and gets off to a bad start next year i hope he can start pick himself up quickly now and have some good results between now and the end of the year so he can just forget about what happened in new york because it it was beneath him to tell you the truth this it shouldn't have happened
0: yeah, uh, Serena was playing Doncicovic at the time in her first round. I, because of uh, my my role with U.S. Open Radio, I I did get out there to uh, to Armstrong after uh, at at the end of the second. So I also saw the the better portion of it. Didn't see the the very beginning of the match, but uh, all I have to add, I I agree with you. It signals that something was was very, uh, very off mentally. And uh, you know there there were medical timeouts for the elbow, uh, getting the elbow massaged, but. Uh, you would think he is, you know, past that particular issue, uh, having had surgery in the off season and making the final the week before and nothing really coming up for, for a, a very long time.
1: but um, well, it's a shame though. It's a shame because you, he's, he's, a, he's an electrified electrifying player to watch when he's on. He's at the beautiful one in and back in. He too has a, has no hesitancy about coming forward. And that's why his matches with Carlos are fun to watch. And, this was, this just was not, not the real uh, sitsapas. And I, 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 I want to see a quick recovery. And I, I, I certainly hope that that elbow is not anything substantial, but he certainly seemed fine in Cincinnati, though. And I'm talking to some of the Greek reporters, they had no inkling of it. And they didn't talk about that. They talked more about how he was sort of hung up about playing on Armstrong. And I just feel like, okay, you got to be more professional than that. And I think deep down, he is more professional than that. So, Let's hope there's a there's a quick turnaround and that he starts showing us his best stuff again soon
0: yeah that's a good nugget i wasn't I wasn't aware that there was some resentment there it's interesting um Hachinov over um curios I think you have to lump in there uh, it wasn't the the shock uh because you know we know that that hachanov is the uh consummate top thirty player that he is uh but I think um, there's still some element uh, of surprise there after Kyrgios, uh defeated Medvedev. So what did you make of, of that result?
1: I have to say, Gil, I watched a lot of it. I was really impressed with Hachinov because he just was bearing down hard. His he, he served consistently well the whole match. He got on top. He won the first. set. Nick was always battling from behind to win the second and fourth. And then after Nick had played a really good, tiebreaker in the fourth to take it into the fifth hatching breaks right off the bat and then managed to protect that break the rest of the way i thought it was one of the best matches i've ever seen him play nick was nick quite at the level that he's been at starting with the grass court season right up until this point of the u.s open maybe not quite as good and maybe it's an understandable letdown after such a big win over medvedev but i didn't think he played badly by any means by any means i i i I really give full marks to Hatchinoff for the way that he competed that night, because Nick's performance would have been good enough to beat Hatchinoff on, I would say, eight nights out of ten. But this was one of those two nights where it, it wasn't going to happen, and that was really—I uh, I, was—I was very surprised by that. I, going in, I didn't give him much of a chance, but I, I just thought he was. Uh, Sitsipas likes to use the pre- the phrase "present." He was present for that whole match there was no wavering there were no lapses he played well the entire match and nick was a little bit more in and out but it was not one of those nights where he just went out there and threw in the towel or where he just played abysmally nick was just a little beneath his best and in the end was just beaten by a better player that night that's how i saw it
0: yeah amazing uh, me as well because besides the calf issue that came up in the first set uh it looked like a a Nick Kyrgios that physically and mentally was ready to compete and, and win that match. And yeah, Hatchinov just really caught fire there. There's no doubt about it. Served great um, as well. Um, I had Taylor Fritz making a deep run. This is the last bit of um, this, uh, this group of, of surprising men's matches that I want to talk about. Uh, Taylor Fritz uh, lost to Brandon Holt in the first round. Did you catch any of that?
1: I caught the end of that. That, that also was going on after the Serena match. Everything yeah. was happening yeah. simultaneously that night. But I watched a lot of the four set. And, I mean, I had watched Holt in the qualifying. You know, I'd watched bits and pieces of every match he played in the qualifying. All three set wins. They all went the distance. But he's got a great temperament. He's got a very solid foundation to his game. He doesn't make many careless mistakes. He's, he's, he concentrates. So he's a great competitor. Uh, but going in, I, I just felt like Taylor was going to have too much firepower. That just did not prove to be the case. He was able to, you know, he returned well in the fourth and he got up two breaks and then gave uh, Taylor got one of them back. But it wasn't enough for him to stop to stop Holt. And, uh, yeah, I think Fritz did admit afterwards, uh, Gil, that he maybe he maybe he had been thinking that he was a genuine candidate to win the tournament. That might have worked against him. But I think he was just caught off guard. He He surely knows he knows Holt and it's Tracy Austin's son and everybody knows this is a fine young player coming up. You got to You, you, you can't let your guard down. And I think Taylor, I don't think that's what happened, but I don't think he necessarily thought that Holt could play at that level across four sets, which he did. And, uh, you know, it was, a it was very impressive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, uh, Fritz, what, what he said after the match was, I mean, he, he was as, as shocked as you'll really see a player after a loss, you know, saying that he, he did think he was going to win the tournament and he just couldn't believe he had lost. Uh, so, so that one was uh, was an interesting one, no doubt. Um, on the, the topic of American men's tennis, um, and I'll let you go after this one. I appreciate all the time. Um, you know, with Tiafo making the semifinal and, you know, entering an era where there are so many Top 50 American men um, to the point where I, I'm pretty sure the US is going to have more top 50 players than any nation uh for the next uh few years, the next several years here is the way this is shaping up. Uh, how do you see Tiafo's foray or or next step? Um, how good he can be? And and if you think that there is, because the concern there, or not the concern, but the question is. Who is going to separate themselves in this group, as as the players who are kind of carrying the torch in terms of getting big results at big tournaments? And I'm wondering how you see that landscape right now.
1: Oh boy, Gil! You know, you that, that, that's it's an unfair question <laughs> because it's so hard to answer. No, it's a it's actually a very good question. But I honestly don't think any. I don't at this point see any of them separating themselves. Fritz is obviously proven himself to be the best of the americans despite what happened in new york and we saw wimbledon he was so close to being in the semifinals, and i i just like the aggression in his game and and great competitor then and then francis showed us some stuff here that we had some of the best tennis of his career question is can he do it I, i see taylor stringing more good tournaments together than francis probably but maybe francis has a new kind of outlook on life after what he did in new york to get to the semis and be within one set of the final so I, I think that he may start pushing t- uh, taylor a lot and maybe he maybe maybe they both can start making a move toward the top 10 in the world then the question becomes what happens with brooksby what happens with corda but i think these two are going to lead the way and i think that francis will close the gap in the rankings between him and himself and fritz considerably in the months ahead and where it goes from there i have no idea
0: yeah. Uh, the question, I guess, becomes with with Tiafoe, uh, is this going to breed a consistent performer?
1: Right. Right. Because right. We, we don't know that. But I'm, I'm hoping that, that that's what he's going to demand of himself now and that he's going to feel like I can't waste this. I can't waste what I did at the U.S. Open. And uh, I've got to turn it into something you know, more, more, more substantial and sort of build himself toward the Australian. But in the meantime, be putting in really good results all through the autumn, you know, so that he can push his ranking up and get a good seeding in, in Melbourne. And I think Francis may look at himself a little differently now after what happened in New York. I think I he agree. may have even surprised himself to a degree.
0: Yeah, and I think he's put in the work. Uh, the improvements have been tangible. They've been widespread across different areas in his game. I actually have some confidence that that this is going to have a, a bit of a catapult effect, but yeah, you never I know. I,
1: I'm hoping so too. And I also think Fritz is a very is a very resilient character. He will not let that loss throw him for a loop. He'll he'll be right back in the thick of things, and he'll learn. Hey, you talk about learning. He will learn from that, to be sure. And we'll yeah. see. We will. Uh, we we will see some very. I, I, I expect again, as long as he stays physically healthy. Uh, he'll make his bid for the top ten in the world. I, I see that coming,
0: Steve. Uh, such a pleasure as always to hear your thoughts, and uh, so glad that that we could do this again. Um, it was a, a very, very enjoyable con- discussion as always.
1: Uh, Gil, I enjoyed it too, and, and look, look forward to uh, if we if we don't do another, do it before then. Certainly, post Melbourne, Australia, we'll be at it again.